You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority. The list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call, and we'll talk about it here on the show. I'm going to start something new today. Well, it's not really new, but the way I'm going to do it is new I um, have a podcast that I've been trying to get started for quite a while now, and I think it could be one of my favorites. Uh, I'm just having a hard time working out the logistics and getting it done, and it's called Road Scholar, and what it is is a podcast about book reviews. If you've listened to this show, you know how important I think staying educated and constantly learning really is. I've said many times, if I had to pick one single thing that helped me accomplish the things I've accomplished over the years, it was my love of reading. And I love to read. I know a lot of people don't. The average person never reads a single book after high school. Um, I feel very fortunate that I have always loved to read and when I drive, I love to listen. I think audiobooks are the most amazing thing. And I miss my time on the road. I, I'm back now after being on the road for four months, and I got through a lot of books. It's just there's, there's just so much time to listen. If you're driving a truck, and if you're listening to the show, I, I assume you do, you have 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week of time to listen. You can get a college degree in a year, and, and it's better than a college degree. It's, it's really useful information. Everything is available on audio now. So I've been encouraging people for years to start listening to audio books. There's just there's so much. And I like doing book reviews and kind of giving you a heads up on what I've read or what I am reading and, um, you know, give you a taste of what it is. And that way you'll know whether it's a book you want to go listen to or not, because there are so many. Uh, I love book recommendations. I, I talk to a lot of other big readers. Larry Winget um, is a really big reader. Most successful people I know do a lot of reading. And I love getting recommendations from other readers. So I want to do a podcast to help you find really good books to be listening to. The problem comes in, for me, in logistics. The, the way we set this up originally was I would read the book, write out all my notes, create my review, and then we would get the author of the book to come on the show with me. And I would ask questions and do an interview and talk to the author. 
and then we would let you come on and ask questions of the author if you wanted. And I love that idea. It's just really difficult to make it work logistically with my schedule, and obviously most authors are busy. And I would lay out two or three books. I would read them. I would make my notes. Then we would try to get interviews set up, and times wouldn't work out, and we'd have to put it off. And because I haven't been able to roll it out the way I wanted, I haven't done many books. I probably have 15 books all ready to do the podcast on. I just haven't done the podcast. And so I think what I'm going to do is instead of trying to get the author on the first time, I'm going to start doing the book reviews as part of my open on each show. So I'll take the first Oh, it's roughly a 12 to 13 minute segment. And I'll break those down and I'll do the book review over multiple shows. Like some, some books may take me eight to 10 shows to do um, in the opening segment. And that way you'll get to review the book over time at the beginning of each show. And when we're done, will then take those pieces and edit them into one podcast and we'll start building a library. And then if we can get the author and we can get the schedules worked out, we'll do an author interview. We'll edit that in as part of the podcast. And we'll also put up some supporting documents that will help you understand the book. And That way you'll get to hear about the different books over time. If you're not interested, you won't have to sit through the whole hour or two or whatever a a full podcast would turn out to be, but it'll give you a taste of some of the books that I really like. Now, I'm I'm not going to review books I don't like. I read books all the time that I think, eh, you know, I might have gotten an idea or two out of there. Probably not worth the time because there are so many good books. So I'm not going to do any negative reviews. I just really don't see the point. I'm going to review the books that have had the biggest impact on me. Uh, And and there are lots of them. Like I said, I already have many of these done. Um, Picking the first one was probably the most difficult part. It's kind of like saying, you know, what's your favorite food? There are so many foods I like, it's hard to pick one that's my favorite. Books are the same way. It's difficult for me to pick my favorite. And on top of that, my favorite isn't necessarily the first book or or one of the early books I would want somebody to read. Sometimes my favorite books are my favorite for a different reason. So I've really tried to put these in order of the books that I think could have the biggest impact on you. And clearly, these are some of my favorite books, no question. So after looking through all of the books I've read and, and trying to figure out which, which book really had the biggest impact, and after looking at it, it was actually a fairly easy choice. I had to go back and forth a lot, but looking at the book that has had the biggest impact over time of all the books I've read, and I've read well over a thousand. I wish I had a real count, but clearly well over a thousand, and I still average about two a week. 
But the one that's had the biggest impact, and that's the one I'm going to review first. I'll give you an idea of what it is right now, talk a little bit about it, and then um, continue this review in the first segment of each show that I do. So the book, after all these years, all the books that I've read, that had the biggest impact is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. This book, the the lessons just really stick with me. And I don't always live these seven habits, but it's what I always strive for. You know, if it were easy to just read the book, Live the Habits, we'd all be wildly successful. Because I can promise you, these things work. These seven habits are incredibly effective. But it's not easy to do this stuff every day. If it was, everybody would be doing it. It requires work. And it, it's not something, I don't think that you ever master. It's something that you're always working on. Now, this book is really becoming a classic. It was written in 1989, and I read it the year it came out. And that was really just, a, I think I read my first kind of uh, personal development book sometime around 1984. I still remember what it was. It was The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale, another great book, by the way. Uh, and that one was the one that kind of got me started on the personal development, um, leadership, business, self-help kind of books. So by 1989, I had read a, quite a few. I, I read this one early on, and it had a huge impact on me. And I have gone back, and I keep this book around. This is one of those books that's always close to me. And I go back to this book a lot. And when I find myself kind of getting out of whack and maybe feeling a little frustrated or not getting as much done as I'd like to, I go back to this book and it works. So what Stephen Covey did was he interviewed and studied and researched thousands of top business leaders. And this was a a huge project. They spent lots of years on it. And out of all of those interviews, they developed the common habits that all of these successful people had, no matter what their career was, what industry they were in. And that's what the book is all about, the seven habits of people who are very successful and effective. So we'll be talking about this more on the next show. I'm going to uh, take a break, and then we're going to get to your calls and questions. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome. 
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. And uh, I, I, I love this idea. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how you, the listeners, like it because that's always what matters. But I, I've been trying to get this podcast off the ground, the book reviews. Um, I love doing this, and it's, it hasn't worked yet. So, you know, when I want to accomplish something and I it's not working my thought is just keep trying something different try something new what how else can you do this I've been frustrated with this I I haven't been able to find the time to get this done and that why not take time I'm already using and use the first segment in each show so we'll see how this goes I'd love to get feedback from you as we get into this and, you know, to let us know what you think of things, you can always uh, send us an email to support at letstruck.com. Or you can call into the show if you can get through and, and let me know what you think about it there. Let's get to some phone calls. We're going to head off to Oklahoma. Michael, welcome to the program. How you doing, Kevin? Good. What can I help you with today? All right, I got two quick questions. I have a dual setup on drives, and one tire is, seems to be wearing a little bit more than the other tire, and I was just wondering what might cause that. So these are two tires bolted together, right? They're the duals on that, one side. That's correct. Okay. So what you want to do, because it's a little hard to just look and see this, what you want to do is jack the truck up and take a, a flexible tape measure, kind of like a tailor's um, measuring tape, and check the circumference of each one of those tires. My guess is you're going to find that they're mismatched size-wise. And what happens is, and it could have been something else that caused this to start, but once it starts, you'll never stop it. And here's why. Once we get those tires a little uneven, you have to remember they're bolted together. And when they are rolling, the smaller tire is trying to roll faster to catch up, but it, oh no, slower, the bigger tire has to turn faster to get that same revolution. And because they're bolted together, the big tire is going to drag the little tire along. And because it's dragging it, it's scuffing it, it's going to wear even more. And, and that's what happens once we get a mismatched tire like that. When we bolt them together, you're always going to get more wear on the one that was smaller, and you might get really irregular wear, but it, it's going to be a size problem that causes that. That's why when we bolt two tires together, we really, really want to match them as close as possible. Okay, and so there's really not, I mean, I guess uh, rotating it, you know, on the opposite axle or whatever might help with that a little bit if you put it, because it's, it's opposite on the, each axle or uh, on one axle, Per side is completely the opposite. The inside's wearing more on one side, and then the on the other side, the outside so, one is wearing more. So what you want to do, and you may just even check all eight tires. Take that tape measure and check every tire for circumference and write them all down, 
And then what you might want to do is bolt that, re-bolt them or remount them so that you've got each set as close to each other as possible. Okay. All righty, that's all I need to know. I thought there may have been a bearing issue or 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 a or a you know out of uh, out of alignment or issue, and I just had it aligned, so I was just making sure it wasn't that. Yeah, usually not. Usually, the only thing that causes this really uneven wear when two tires are bolted together is just a size difference. So I, I would check that. And again, because you have it happening on opposite sides. You probably have two smaller tires and two bigger tires, and you just need to match those up, and then this should go away. Let's go to Michigan. Ray, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Good. I, I like your idea. Today. I like your idea of the book reviews. That sounds like a really interesting thing. Uh, I oh, want you to look at Thanks. my profit gauges. Uh, I know I'm not, I'm not, I bought the truck last year, last October, so I have, you know, a full six months this year, but I know I'm not, you know, uh, doing the greatest, but I'm definitely making more money than I did as a company driver. Um, Is this your first truck? Yes. Oh, well, then let me just correct what you just said. For your first truck and your first full year, you're doing amazing. Really? I mean, I'm just glancing Uh, at the numbers right now, but this is better than well over half of the owner-operators I review, and some of those guys have been in business for decades. So uh, we've got a a great great start going here. Six months, you know, and I started last October when I bought the truck. And I'm I'm using – I went through your your, – Marcus, I went through your guys' tax service. Okay. He's amazing. He's helped me out a lot. He tells me exactly what to pay uh, quarterly and even sends me a little stub to, to send with it. It's been working out great. Now, he thinks I'm paying a little too much right now, but it's still, with my write-offs, it's still under half of what I what they took out of the company when I worked for a company. You know what I mean? Uh, right, right. And, and I got, and I have some weeks where I have four days off, and I really enjoy that time with my grandkids. And good, even good, even my own time because, like, before when I was a company driver, I'd have to work between fifty-five and sixty-five hours to make fifty-five thousand a year. And the government took quit in October. Yeah. The government had taken eighteen thousand dollars out of my check. Yeah, I know, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so you think I'm doing okay? Well, oh. Well, let's just talk about that. You were, you know, like you said, you were working 55 or 60 hours a week. You were making 55000 Um, Now you're talking about more time off, more days off. And if we look at your numbers, you're probably going to make 80000 plus. That's outstanding. That's what I'm thinking. Now, 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 I mean, granted, about between nine and 10000 of that's going to be taxes. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Actually, about right. 8800 8, I believe. And he thinks that's probably going to be high, but he wants a full year before he nails it down. Because I want to get it to where they're not giving me any money back. I want my money. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and that's they'll do that because you you started early. You're you're dialing in the taxes already. You are probably going to be a candidate to incorporate come January of next year. Um, that's I'm with Marcus. Yeah. 
I'd like to get a full year in, and and I'm glad that he's doing that as well. But it's pretty clear if things stay like this, you're going to want to incorporate when we start next year off. Great, great. Pretty simple. Marcus will probably help me with that too, I think. Yep, yep. We'll, we'll get and, uh, you all taken care of, and that will help lower the tax bill. But your numbers, I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. Your numbers look fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I know I know when you look at, you know, my fuel costs, and I am learning to get much better fuel mileage. I, I, I drove company for five years, a truck that only went 62, and I think subconsciously, <laughs> when I got my own truck, I drove a little faster. But I've been right. backing off. Right, that happens so a lot. And so I've been, you know, getting a little better fuel mileage when I can. And, uh, but, you know, I think overall I thought it was really kind of not that great because some of my, some of my profit per mile was, you know, some of it's only 80 cents a mile, but. Oh, but the, there's two numbers we can look at that are really good. One, you're keeping 75 cents a mile after all expenses. I, there probably isn't, you know, one percent of the driving jobs in the country that would pay that. So that's a great number. And when we look at how much of your gross revenue you keep, I tell people a good goal to shoot for is fifty percent. And a lot of people struggle and never get there. And in your first, a little, you haven't even I'm, got a full year yet. You're at fifty-five percent already. Yeah, so I thought I was doing pretty good. I know, I know I'm getting some bills paid off. I need to get bills paid off, and even my wife. I, I made. I let my wife go back to one shift. She works at FedEx at night, on the on the line, and I made her go to one shift because she's got arthritis. I mean, we're we're getting up in age, and the only reason she's still working there is insurance. She put me on the insurance right. because, good lord, it would cost me fifteen hundred dollars a month for. For me and her. And that's $10,000 deductible. Welcome to Obamacare. (laughs) Hey, and I have a quick question about my truck, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, It's a, a, uh, well, you already know, it's a T600 2007. I have a Cummins engine in it. And it's really great. I change my oil every 20,000, faithfully. And uh, we have to take a break. Uh, yeah, let me get to a break. We'll come right back. We'll tackle that question, and then we'll get to more of them. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
The website is letstruck.com. I was talking with Ray in Michigan. Ray, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, I was just telling you a little bit about the truck. I, I've had a couple friends tell me, man, you need to keep this truck because I change oil every 20000 like the book says. And I uh, I don't even get down to add. Add is one gallon uh, in that 20000 And so I think, and, and, and the truck seems to run really good. But I have one thing that's happened that's weird, and I'm hoping you can okay. tell me what this is. Uh, when I when I use a Jake, uh, it's always been just a just kind of a not a loud, obnoxious Jake like some trucks are. Just just kind of a deep, baffling sound, you know. Right. And recently, it's gotten it. It sounds completely different. I'm like, what the hell? And it's got kind of a higher pitched baffling sound, if that's the right way to say it. And yeah. I thought, well, yep. well, maybe something's loose, and I can't find anything loose, so I don't think it's vibration. So you know what that is? Almost positive that it's going to be an exhaust leak somewhere. Uh, just to give you an okay. example, um, I, on the last truck I had, I, I had a really nice, short, straight weed burner exhaust we built for it. And we put a Pittsburgh Power high flow muffler on it, and it was really the sound. I just loved the sound. It had that low, soft little rumble out of the Detroit. I loved the way it sounded. And even with the Jake brake on, it barely got louder. I mean, it was just this with the Jake brake on, there was just a little bit more noise, but it was this nice, soft, not obnoxious sound at all. And I was going down the road one day, and I thought, it sounds like my truck just got a little louder, but it wasn't any big deal. You know, I, I could hear the exhaust a little more, and I thought, I wonder if I got an exhaust leak. And just about the time I was thinking that, I came up over the crest of the hill and started down, and the Jake brake came on, and I almost jumped out of my seat. It was so loud. It, it was insane. I thought, holy shit, I don't have an exhaust leak. I must have lost my muffler. And sure enough, I pulled over at the bottom of the hill, and the muffler had come off right right where it connected to the pipe. But when you were driving down the road, even without the muffler, the engine just wasn't that loud at all. But my God, when the Jake brake came on, it, you couldn't hear anything else. Well, I, I don't I, – I, I, I've already – I've looked a little bit. I haven't found an exhaust leak yet. yet. Uh, but as soon as I get back, I'm definitely – going to get under it i just have that chance to get under it but uh it, it could be it, it could be something as simple as an exhaust leak right at the manifold you may have an exhaust oh, manifold okay. leak you may have an exhaust manifold cracked you may have a leak somewhere right at the turbo i don't think that yours is going to be farther back in the exhaust the way you're describing it that kind of high pitch we tend to get that one... sound when we when we crack an exhaust manifold Okay, because yeah, it's a little, it's a higher pitch sound. It's not loud. It's not really any louder than right. It's just a completely yeah, it, different sound. It's usually the air escaping through a crack that creates that high pitch. So that's why I'm thinking um, exhaust gasket, exhaust manifold crack, something up there around the manifold and the turbo is where I would be looking. Let's go to Colorado. Daryl, welcome to the program. Daryl, are you with me? 
Daryl. Well, I'm going to put you back on hold, and we'll see what might be going on. Let's go to Texas. Kirk, welcome to the program. I no gallbladder deal, so I'm taking a few supplements, taking my bios. Okay. Probiotic, PB8, probiotic. And I did order from Miss Kim this morning. Okay. Q10. Now there's some stuff I'm not sure about. Okay, the uh, betaine hydrochloride. Okay. And, so let's uh, talk about what what you are taking, because I'm not a big big fan of supplements, but I am finding some supplements that do really help people, that, and we can measure the difference pretty quickly. So I like when we can see results. So the the ones you talked about, the bile salts, we can measure the difference in one meal. I, I, I've seen the change in myself. I've seen it in other people. If you're not digesting fats properly, and a lot of people don't, bile salts are a great supplement. So that's a good one. Probiotics, everybody should take a probiotic, everybody. There is so much new information that just keeps coming out every day about how important our gut bacteria is, and there are so many things in our modern world that damage our gut bacteria. And, and you can have a really good gut bacteria balance and wipe it out in just two or three days. So it, I think taking a high-quality probiotic every day is important for everybody. So that is one of the supplements I highly recommend. Um, CoQ10, are you on a statin? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so CoQ10 you should absolutely take if you're on a statin. Some people believe that you should take CoQ10 no matter what because it's good for your heart. I prefer to get my nutrients from food when I can, and there are some really good sources of CoQ10. Heart muscle is a good one, like beef heart I eat, chicken hearts I eat. Um, So I don't supplement with CoQ10, but if you are on a statin, you should. What I would talk more about, though, is why you don't just stop the statin. Working on it. Okay, good. And that, that's, that's all I really need to hear. And I do it at your own pace. Um, there are a couple good books about statins. Uh, I would encourage you to read those. And there's a lot of evidence to say that statins really aren't helping anybody. And there are ways to get our cholesterol numbers much better than we'll ever get them with statins, and we won't have the side effects. So if you can stop the statin, then I would, I would probably stop the CoQ10. Um, if you take it and you absolutely know it's making you feel better, then there's no real downside to taking it other than cost. So not a big deal there. Now, you mentioned the the um, HCL, correct, in the betaine? Yes, sir. Hydrochloride. Okay. Yep. Do you ever suffer from heartburn, acid indigestion, reflux, that kind of stuff? Not anymore. Not anymore. Well, that's a good sign. Um, The beauty of taking HCL as a supplement, hydrochloric acid, is we can test ourselves to know whether or not we need it. I I love supplements like this. 
And the test is you'll sit down to a meal. You want to make it a fairly substantial meal, so a, a good-sized meal, uh, and you want to have some fat in it, some protein, and a little bit of carbohydrate. And one of the HCL capsules right before you start eating, and then start eating and wait about four or five minutes. And what you're going to be looking for is kind of a warmth right in the pit of your stomach, maybe even a little towards the top. And it, you shouldn't feel it like really burning. It's not going to be uncomfortable, but you'll start to notice a warmth. Now, if you take a pill and you wait four or five minutes and you don't feel it and you're still eating, take another one and keep eating and chew good and eat slow and be relaxed. And you keep taking the hydrochloric acid capsules until you feel it. And when you feel that little bit of a burn, what, however many capsules it took you to get that feeling, you would take one less than that when you eat a meal. So I had people that had to take 10 before they could feel it. So their dose was nine. They felt it at 10 the first time they tried it. So when they eat meals, they take nine. What you'll find is pretty quickly, within like a week or so, whatever number you come up with, if you take that with each meal, pretty soon you'll start to feel that same little bit of burn with that number and you'll have to go down one. And then a couple days or a week later, that amount will start to give you that burn because what will happen is as you supplement with this acid, your body will be getting the nutrients it needs to start creating its own acid and it will get better and better. So then eventually... Um, I, I'm not taking the HCL anymore. I started off needing two with each meal, and then I cut back to one, and now I'm not taking it at all. And I'm still getting the same good digestion. So this is a supplement I'd love because we can test for it, and we can eventually stop taking it. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. All right, a heads up, we're heading into the fourth segment, um, and then uh, we're going to come back and do another hour. So I'm going to, uh, at the end, I'll say goodnight, goodbye, all that stuff I say at the end of the show, but don't hang up because we're going to come back and do another hour. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. I'm going to go back to uh, Kirk in Texas and make sure that uh, that helps. Kirk, does that help? Yes, sir. And I mean, taking liver support and light balance. Can you overdo okay. it on the light yeah. balance? 
Uh, no, that's another very cool supplement. Um, and this is what, again, I, I was never big on supplements. I'm still not. I still think we should get most of our nutrition from food. But I like supplements that we know when they're working and we know when we need them or don't. You will not be able to overdo it on light balance because you won't be able to handle the taste. Once your body has the proper amount of minerals in it, you will find that that light balance starts to taste disgusting. Um, And I try to put a cap full a day in my uh, Bulletproof coffee, and I drink two cups, so I get two cap fulls a day. And most of the time, that's just fine. And then if I'm eating really well, like, and, and I'm getting my minerals from my food, I'll notice that even a capful will make my coffee taste just a little unpleasant. And if I try to put it in water at that point, I won't like drinking it at all. So you really can't overdo the minerals um, like this because they will kind of overwhelm your taste once your body has enough of them. Okay, does that taste that it? Just plain Jane stuck my finger in the cap after I poured it in my water. And it is okay. an unpleasant taste. So I know what to look for on that taste. Yep, yep. And that works with any mineral. Now, the light balance is the three important, uh, potassium, sodium, and magnesium. But we can taste test any mineral. You can go on Amazon and you can buy a whole kit of all the minerals and you taste test them. If you taste them and they taste like water or they taste sweet, then your body is just really deficient in that mineral. If it tastes strong, then your body isn't deficient. So it's our body's way of telling us what we need. If we need a mineral, it it will taste better to us or at least not unpleasant, and, and that way we can consume it. And then once we've got enough, our body says that's enough because we don't want to overdo minerals. You, you can build up minerals in your body, um, and, and that's why using, especially if we're eating really good and we're eating organ meats and some other things that are high in minerals, you could overdo them through food. It's pretty hard. But when we use these liquid aqueous mineral supplements, it tells us when we've had too much or not. Okay. And uh, the liver support. The liver support is good. Uh, almost everybody can use liver support. And now these are all the biotic supplements, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that way, that way I know what's in them. When you say liver support, I know what's in um, the biotic supplements. Nothing in there that would cause any harm. It, it's good for all of us. And And again, if you find that, when you're taking it, you're noticing better function and you feel better, then that's what we're shooting for. Okay. Not sure. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. And our goal, again, is to eventually move off of the supplements. I'm just not a big fan of being on them forever. We can solve some problems with them, and on the liver support, once we get our liver functioning and it's, it's detoxified well and our bile is flowing good, which is what the liver support's going to do for you, then eventually you can stop. Because when you're eating a good diet, 
these things will all keep working right. But sometimes our diet's been so poor over long periods of time that by using these supplements, we can kind of jumpstart the process in the beginning. Let's go to Colorado, see if we've got Daryl there. Daryl, welcome to the program. Yes, Kevin, how are you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? Okay. Um, I have a question. Uh, a couple of months back, you and a, you and a gentleman were talking about uh, a, a shop in Denver. He said the guy was pretty good, really good, had good customer service. I was trying to find that shop. Um, the guy that I know in Denver works on almost exclusively engine work, and he's a, just he's a master cat technician. He's also really well trained on Cummins. Um, he's busy on engine work, so he doesn't do a lot of general maintenance. He may not do any, uh, but you could certainly give him a call. It's Elite Diesel in Denver. The owner is Troy Lake, and if you look up. Uh, Elite Diesel Services, Uh and Troy Lake is his name. If you look up Troy Lake Cat Engines or Troy Lake Denver um, or Elite Diesel, you'll find it, and you can find his number. Give him a call. Really, really excellent cat mechanic. Okay, that's what I'm looking for, but I'm coming, yes. Yeah, and he's also really well-trained on Cummins. He's really known for his work with cats, but he's he's very well-trained on Cummins as well. All right. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Illinois. Penny, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. So glad I got hey there. What can um, I help you with? I'm an expert. Well, I'm an expediter, and I've been listening to you for about two years now. Um, I run a lot of hours, and I've tried to be on this ketogenic diet, and I'm one of those girls that's just not quite there. I'm struggling. Got it. And I'm wondering if and I, a, I, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if there's a little bit more going on, and I'm just I've got to tweak it a little bit. And one of my concerns yes, there is, is. Um, I'm a grazer. I I run a lot of hours across the road, and uh, I have my crock pot going with sauerkraut last week and uh, bone broth soup and that, but I fall off the wagon and I get that bag of popcorn. Okay. So one of the things we need to do there, first off, we have to identify whether the keto diet isn't working for you or whether or not you're just not being strict enough to get into ketosis. That's the first thing we have to identify. Because if you told me, look, I'm strict, I don't cheat, I don't eat anything, you know, I watch my carb count and this isn't working, then we would approach it differently. But if you're telling me, well, I am grazing, I am eating popcorn, I'm eating, so, and we don't know, you might just not be getting deep enough into ketosis to feel it yet. So that's the first right. thing we have to identify. The second thing that so I, you, and I've kind of self-diagnosed self is, um, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, candia? 
women. Yes. Um, yep. It's a I, yeast you know, overgrowth. I, yeah. I'm 55 years old. I still have acne. I have toe fungus. And I get that nasty uh, jock itch. Yep. Definitely got a either a bacterial or a yeast overgrowth or possibly both. And candida is really common. I would recommend that you skip the keto diet right now and go to a an elimination diet. Something like the GAPS diet would probably be what I would recommend. Um, okay. GAPS is a gut, gut and psychology syndrome, G-A-P-S. Um, it's written by um, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. Yeah, I've heard you mention it before, and I've been going to get that. I'm also, I heard you talk about the audiobooks. I love it. It gets me through the day. Uh, I listen to Jimmy Moore and you are my my favorite. So um, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard, but like I said, I don't know if it's that little bit of a trucker syndrome that other people might be struggling with. And I started doing a little bit of a journal because I could eat just fat and protein all day and no popcorn, but I found that I was eating six or eight times a day. I agree. Yeah, so so part of this, believe it or not, is the fact that we've got to get your gut cleaned up first. Because what what I'm hearing is telling me that even when you're being ketogenic or or very close, your gut bacteria is out of whack enough, and we know that based on some of your other symptoms, that that can actually cause the cravings that cause you to graze. So it's all intertwined. Um, So that's why I'm going to recommend that the GAPS diet first, let's get that gut cleared up. And the the GAPS diet is just good for a lot of things. The reason we don't stay on it a really long time is it is a very, very restrictive diet. And the idea is eliminate everything that could cause any of the autoimmune disorders, any food sensitivities, any of the bacterial or yeast overgrowth, we get rid of all of it so we don't have to guess. Everything clears up, and then you can start adding foods back in. And the book and the diet will walk you through the whole protocol. But that's what I would recommend okay. for now. Let, let's get that healed and see where we end up. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like I said, I've been listening to you for a while, and it's just like, why can't I get through this? Why am I still having these cravings? And and so I've tried a couple different uh, supplements and that, and I, I'm really leaning towards that candida, and I'm, it, it's got to be a problem right in that area. Yep, so, yep okay. I think so. And, and, and that can cause everything else to just be way out of whack. So let's start with that, and then call me back once you look at the diet. And if you have any questions, I'll help you through that, and then we should be good. All right, I've got to get out of here. We're all out of time. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, hold on, everybody. We're going to do another hour here.
your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, you name it, we'll tackle it here on this show. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. All right, so last show, I talked about a new feature that I'm going to try and see what kind of feedback I get. I always have lots of ideas for things I might want to do on the show, but ultimately what really matters is how you, the listener, feel about those things. So I'll try things, see what kind of feedback I get, and uh, I really do value your feedback. So anytime you want to send us some feedback about what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, maybe some, something you'd like to see more of, whatever it might be, drop me an email. It's support at letstruck.com, and let me know what you think. So, and this is one of those segments I'd love to get some specific feedback about. I talked all about this on the last show. I've been trying to put together a podcast on book reviews for a long time now, and it's just not working out because of my schedule. And I'm frustrated because I've already done about 15 books, and I have them ready to go. I just can't make the podcast schedule work for me. So I decided why not take the first segment of each show, which many times I do an open about different things. Why not take the first segment and do a little piece of each book review, and over multiple shows, you're going to get the whole book review. So I'll just do them in order. Some books may take me eight or ten shows, so it may take you two weeks. You'll get a little piece of the book, and you won't have to sit through an hour or two of a podcast if you're not interested in that book. But I, I want to bring you some ideas and, and let you know about the books that have had the biggest impact on me over the years. So uh, last show I talked about uh, my first book is going to be The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If I had to recommend one book, although this isn't an easy reading book, so it, it's not always the first book I recommend for some people. There are a couple other easier reads that I kind of help people ease into the whole book thing. But if there was one book I would ever recommend you focus on, it would be this book. The book's been out for more than 25 years. In fact, I just bought the 25th anniversary edition not that long ago uh, and reread the book. And I, I have a, a, a reference guide to this book sitting on my desk right in front of me. It's been there for a very long time. And this is a book I really try to live by. And I certainly don't succeed every day but it's something that I, uh, I, I always go back to. So I'm going to give you kind of a, a, an overview. And it, it, again, there was a lot of research and a lot of work put into this book. And it, it's a, a compilation of 
interviewing and studying and researching thousands of really successful people in all industries, all areas, all walks of life, and finding out the things that they did the same. What were the things they did every day that made them so successful? And it is very, very well-researched and very well-written, and this book is just becoming a classic. So in the book, Stephen Covey outlines and goes very, very deep into the seven habits. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go as deep as the book. The whole idea is to get you interested so you go listen to the book. But I'm going to go through the seven habits and give you an idea of what they're all about. Um, Before I get to the seven habits, I think today what I'd like to do is really give you two lessons from the book, maybe three, Um, and there are three of the habits, and they're not in order. These are the three that just really, really stuck in my mind, Um, and and they were three lessons from this book, and as I go through each habit, I'll come back and touch on these, but there was one example in the book that just really hit home with me, and I've I've actually seen it done in person now. It's a visual. And it's such a great lesson. It was something I struggled with constantly. And here's what it was. We all have stuff that we have to do every day. There are phone calls and emails and paperwork and errands and and just the everyday stuff of life that we have to do. And then there are things that we know we should do. Or there are things that we would like to do. They, they tend to be bigger things. They tend to be more important things. And it could be, you know, taking the time to eat to be more active. It could be taking the time to read. Um, it could be, you know, studying for a new career. Or I could go on and on. There, there are big things that we all know we should do. And somehow we don't get to them. And we always say, when I get this done, then I'll start on that. When I get this done, then I'll start on that. And we end up doing the stuff that has to get done, or we think it has to get done. And by the time we get through a day, there's just no time left. And we say, well, we'll start tomorrow. And we don't. And here's the visual that that was described in this book that had such a huge impact on me. There was a jar, and they take the jar, and they fill it up with pretty good-sized rocks. And when the rocks are kind of sticking out the top a little bit, um, the question is, is the jar full? And you say, yeah, of course, the rock's sticking out the top. You can't get another rock in there. Then they take pebbles, smaller rocks, and they start dropping them in and they start filling in all the cracks. And all the pebbles kind of fill up what space is available and they come to the top. And then they say, is it full? And now you're already thinking, well, the last time I said it was full, I was wrong. It's not full because after those rocks, they can take smaller rocks and put those in. And then after the smaller rocks, you can take sand and you can get sand to work its way down through there. And 
you can then pour in water. And you're thinking, okay, well, I get it. Now I understand the trick, but what does this have to do with my life? Well, the sand and the water and the pebbles, those are all the small things. Those are all, that's the stuff we have to do every single day. And, and if you were to take those things, let's say we took the sand or the water and we put those in first and we fill up this jar with sand and water and small pebbles, could we get any big rocks in? And the answer is no. If you fill the jar up with all the little stuff first, there's no room for the big stuff. But if you put the big stuff in first, you can fit in all the other stuff. You can still get in the sand and the water and the pebbles. And the analogy is the big rocks, those are the important things in our life. Those are the things we know we should be doing, and we never seem to find time because we have filled up our life with all the little stuff. It's stuff that we think just has to get done, and we'll get to the big stuff afterwards, but if you fill your life up first with the little stuff, there's never room for the big stuff. We all see this. We know it. Everybody listening to me right now has something they know in their life that would be important for them to do, and we don't get to it. I'm guilty of this constantly. But this is something I work on all the time. So the lesson is identify what your big rocks are. What are your big projects? What are the important things that you need to get to? And you've got to put those in your life first. And then you will find time for the other stuff. That's the lesson. Put the big rocks in first. Work on those things every single day. Schedule time. Identify just one big rock, one big project that you know is important to you, something you know you should do, something you want to do, something you just don't get to. And schedule that into your day every day. Maybe it's only 15 minutes in the beginning. But put the big rock in. And then all the other stuff is going to fit into your life. You'll still get all that other stuff done. But if you fill up your life with all that stuff first, you're just going to keep saying, oh, I'll get to the big project tomorrow. That is probably the single best lesson I learned from this book. There's going to be lots more, and I'll cover it in the coming shows in the uh, opening segment of each one. So stay tuned for that. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Uh, one quick example of how I use that um, 
idea here recently. I knew after reading over a hundred books on health and nutrition and fitness that I wanted to go back and get a formal certification. And after studying all the possibilities, I really liked the nutritional therapy program. And I looked at the schedule and I was thinking about signing up. And this is obviously a big thing. It's going to take a lot of time. And they recommended 15 to 20 hours a week of study. And I thought, oh, my God, my schedule is so busy. How can I possibly do that? And then I thought, you know, if they recommend 15 or 20, I can probably do it in 10. I read well. I can read fast. I retain really well. So it won't take me 20. I can probably do it in 10. And I was looking, can I fit 10 more hours into my schedule? And then I looked at the finals and the midterm. The midterm was not long before Louisville, our big truck show. The finals were just two weeks after the CMC. And I thought, well, you know what? That's just too much. Um, I've got too much stuff going on. I should put this off. And then I remembered the seven habits and thought, wait a minute, this is a big rock. Put this in place. You'll find a way to get the other stuff done. And if you don't, then that stuff probably wasn't that important anyway. So I did it. I, I, I took the plunge. I committed to the program. I am very, very happy that I did. I got through it. I passed with flying colors, I'm happy to say. And uh, some other stuff did get put off, and it didn't get done. But this was a good choice, and that's what that lesson in the seven habits is all about. Let's go to Tennessee. David, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? Um, well, I uh, was involved in an accident a couple of weeks ago where a guy in a car uh, hit me head on, and he totaled my truck and uh, my trailer. Um so I was looking at getting an older model truck, and uh, the truck I had was a O2 387 with a C15 6NZ in it. And um, the two trucks that I was looking at, and uh, I ran the rig dig on them, and they both look like good trucks. Um, the Freightliner is one I'm really interested in. I mean, it's a beautiful truck if you were able to see it, which you can't, but uh, it has a salvage title on it. And the only reason why it has a salvage title on it because the engine blew up in it, and uh, the guy let the truck go back. And uh, the people who have the truck now, they put a an engine in it, and it uh, it's an original, you know, 60 series that only has uh, 430,000 original miles on it. And uh, and then the other truck, like I said, is, uh, is that T600, and both of them look like pretty good trucks. But on the rig dig on the... Uh, the T600, what had me nervous about that, I, I looked, it was involved in a couple of accidents. Yeah, let me look at those real quick. Um, accident involving four vehicles, one reported fatality, two injuries. That was a tow-away. It's a fairly severe accident. One person died, two people were injured, four vehicles. Um mm. Oh, and then we actually had a uh, a rollover. Yeah. Yeah, so that would scare me away from that truck. Um, that, that's too many accidents, even on an older truck, which I'm a little easier on. That, those are two fairly severe accidents. 
Um, there can be all kinds of damage that we're just not going to find. So I, I would remember the, the, the goal here when we're looking for a truck is that I, I'm always looking for some reason not to get it. You know, we can get ourselves in that position where we just love the truck and we're willing to overlook things. And I try to approach it before I ever fall in love with it. I want to know, is there something about this truck that, that would stop me from buying it? And the rig dig report is such a great way of doing this. If we look at it and there's nothing, great. We move on to the next step. If there's something, though, we have to be very careful that we don't say, oh, but it's not a big deal. Um, A four-vehicle accident with fatalities and injuries, pretty severe accident. Um, If I was really in love with the truck, I, I might try to research to see if I could find out more about what got damaged on the truck. But then it's also got a rollover. Now that's just too much to overlook. So I would eliminate that truck. The other truck sounds interesting. Salvage titles really scare me. And this is something that's got me a little worried about this story. Um, Well, I I, I know. Well, hold on. Let me explain what, why, why I'm a little confused about this. I know of, thousands and thousands of trucks that have engines replaced. I've replaced engines in my trucks. I've never gotten a salvage title because I replaced, understand why there's a salvage title because of that. Well, they didn't own the truck. Uh, the way he explained it to me is they got the truck. He has a friend that's in the insurance company. And uh, like I said, when the, the guy, when the engine blew up in the truck, the guy no longer wanted somehow the insurance got involved, and they had the truck. Well, because he was friends, he let them buy the truck from him, you know, at a savage price. And uh, they had that 67 engine just sitting there. And the, the place where it's at is not a, a person who drives the truck or anything like that. They, It's a company, uh, like a, a tow company, and they had some other business okay. there, a shop and everything. So what they did, they had that so, engine just sitting there, so they bought it just to put it off in there. And they ran it, like, uh, for about six months. If you look at the rig day report, you can actually see where they ran it, and they went through uh, and had a DOT inspection done uh, while they were driving okay. it. Uh, so here, here's where I would be on this. I'm glad you did the rig dig. I'm glad you, you've got this information. If that story is true, then I actually like this truck. The, the, mm-hmm. the fact that it's got a, a, a low mileage engine, I, none of that bothers me. In fact, I like it. I would just make sure that I could do everything possible to verify this story. I could understand okay, well, why, if there was an insurance company involved, how we ended up with a salvage title. But it's pretty unusual mm-hmm. to get a salvage title just because we replaced an engine. Okay. Well, they actually plan on going through the state actually this Wednesday to change it out of salvage to bring it back because they can't sell it until they bring it out of salvage. So they plan on going through the state to have it inspected right. to bring it back out of salvage. Yeah, um, I, I get all that. Um, I, I, just, okay. I would just make sure, again, I like the truck. I would do whatever you need to do to get as much information as possible to verify the story. Salvage yeah, titles are too. usually, yeah, Flooded vehicles, vehicles that have been in a fire, vehicles that have been totaled. So it's you possible see this truck, that this story is true. Okay. Yeah, if you see this truck, right. you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And I plan on taking it to uh, – they're only uh, 70 miles away from 
uh, Pittsburgh Power. So I'm going to take it straight there once I, I pick it up. My last question to you, I have to get a trailer as well. Like, my trailer that was total was a 2015 utility. Now, I plan on getting a, another okay. brand-new trailer. Now, I've been looking at uh, – I've been talking to the people of XPO about building a uh, signature trailer, and they're uh, okay. telling me it'll be around 37000 Or I could buy the same exact trailer that I had, just a newer model, another utility for around 31000 Uh What do you uh, recommend with that? Well – if we take a standard trailer, you know, standard tires, no real aerodynamic treatments, nothing special, and we compare it to the signature trailer, we pick up anywhere from seven tenths to one full mile per gallon. At today's fuel price, that saves you about $5,000 a year. So mm-hmm. not only do you end up with a lower maintenance trailer, uh, but you also have one that improves fuel economy. And when fuel was at 4 bucks a gallon, the trailer paid for itself. They paid for the difference in like six months. Now it, it's going to take maybe a year to, to pay off that difference in price. And sometimes you keep trailers for 10 years. I mean, you look at the savings on this trailer over that time, and the trailer is free after, you know, three or four years. Okay, I've been talking to the the dealer down in Searcy at XPO about building this trailer, and I wanted—I ain't gonna say it's a concern. It's just I've never dealt with a vehicle that had this. But this trailer comes with disc brakes. Now, how hard is right. it to find some place to to actually know what they're doing when it comes time to do something with no, these brakes? It, it, not, it's not hard at all. Disc brakes—if okay. you've ever worked on brakes—disc brakes are heaven. They are so easy to work on. You, you work on drum brakes, and the first time you try to take a drum brake apart, if you don't know what the hell you're doing, there are pieces and springs and clips and parts everywhere, and you need all kinds of special tools, and it's a nightmare to put them back together. Uh, disc brakes are a breeze. They are just easy. Okay. So you recommend getting a Freightliner and having a signature trailer go ahead and have one built? Yep, absolutely. Okay, that's what my think was already at the beginning, but I just wanted some uh, reassurance, I guess. Excellent. Good good stuff. Congratulations on doing the hard work. This is how we get to good decisions, because you're doing the work. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. 
I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get right back to the calls. Terry in Mississippi, thanks for calling. It's your turn. Hello, Kevin. Hey there. Hey there. Uh, My son-in-law is an over-the-road driver. He's an owner-operator, and he listens to you all the time. And I saw a segment on a television that coconut oil is good for your memory. I'm 73 years old, soon to be 74, or 72, soon to be 73, rather. Anyway, uh, my question is about the diet that my son-in-law is asking me to try. Okay. Uh, Okay. I'm a diabetic. and I've got more stents than I can count. I'm stage three renal disease. Okay. Uh, so potassium is a great concern. They tell me my potassium is way too high. So is this diet and or coconut oil a good idea for me to pursue? Well, let's... Um, well, let's um... Let's talk in general. I'm going to put you back on hold so you can listen to me because I'm getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if you're on a speakerphone or what it is, but um, I'll put you on hold so you can hear me while I say this. First off, before we talk about the ketogenic diet, which is, is what he was telling you about, what I first believe in is that we should just eat real food. That, that is step number one. And by real food, I mean as much of the food we eat should not have an ingredient list. So if we think about things like spinach, avocados, coconut oil, um, eggs, beef, pork, chicken, um, none of those things have an ingredient list. They're just real food. That's step number one, just eat real food. That can't possibly be bad for anybody, no matter what you have or don't have. And that really is the thing I focus on first. The reason we go to a ketogenic diet is because so many people in this country are burning pure glucose for energy. They've been doing it their whole life because we eat such a high-carbohydrate diet. In fact, that is why you have diabetes. Because if we think about it, diabetes is nothing but too much sugar in your blood and your body can't handle it anymore. If you stop putting sugar in, you won't have diabetes anymore. Diabetes is completely curable, 100% curable, except type 1, which is still pretty rare. Type 2, which is common, is curable. Just stop putting anything into your body that resembles sugar, which also includes all starches. This is what confuses people. Bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, oats, um, those are all starches that are really just sugar. And that's what your body converts them to is sugar, and that's what makes your blood sugar go up. But if you stop putting the sugar and the starch in your body, you won't have diabetes anymore. You won't have high blood sugar. 
Now, because you have diabetes, when you do this, you have to work with your doctor because we have to immediately start adjusting your diabetic medications or you'll end up with low blood sugar because this diet is powerful. Even though it's just real food, it makes big changes. Potassium will not be a problem on this diet. There's nothing you're going to eat here that is overly high in potassium. And when you start eating a real food diet, your body is going to start handling these minerals better. Everything will start to work better. Um, It may or may not cure everything you have going on because some of these things are into advanced stages. But there's nothing about eating this way that could hurt those things. It will make every single thing about your health better. Uh, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Uh, yes, uh, but my one con- my concern here is that I'm also on warfarin, and with warfarin, I'm not supposed to have any leafy vegetables such as broccoli or spinach or lettuce or cabbage. So or now let, let's let, let's think about this. So, we, do you believe that vegetables are good for you? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Because I don't think anybody would argue that. Even though there are lots of different opinions about nutrition and what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat, clearly everybody agrees vegetables are good for us and we should eat lots of them. But, but we have a medical system that puts you on a drug that you may or may not need. And then they don't want you to eat the stuff that's really good for you. That just makes no sense to me. Here's what I, here's what I recommend you do, though. Um, this isn't something I really want to consult with just over the phone. I, I, we're not ready to do full-blown consults yet because there's a lot more information I would need from you. I would highly recommend that you get an opinion from a naturopathic doctor. They have the same medical background virtually as medical doctors do. They just lean more towards natural remedies first. And find an NTP in your area, nutritional therapy practitioner that can do the whole workup with you. You have way too much going on for me to just recommend this over the phone. I can tell you this is what you should be doing enough information to work through all the details with you. But I can promise you, if you eat a whole food diet, you're going to be healthier. If you cut way, way back on your carbs and sugars, you are going to be way healthier. But because of some of your issues, there are some things we need to tweak, and that's just beyond the level that I can do in a couple minutes here on a phone call. Uh, By all means, though, keep listening Keep calling with questions, but but you really need to get a little deeper involved with somebody to work through some of these. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, I've heard you talk about apple cider vinegar, and you always talk about the raw stuff. And I happened to be in Kroger the other day, and I actually found that Bragg brand that I see all the time, and it did say that it has the mother in it. Yep. So I bought it, 
so I bought it. I've been using it to make my homemade salad dressing with olive oil. But now I don't remember what all you said the benefits and uses are of that raw apple cider vinegar. Now I'm curious because I bought it, and I forget what you said the benefits and uses are. <laughs> Got it. So the uses, anything you can think of to get it in your body, in your diet, um, it, obviously making salad dressings are excellent. Um, I use it when I make bone broth because the acid in there helps leach the minerals out of the bone. Um, I will take an avocado and mash it up in a bowl with some apple cider vinegar and salt. Um, That's a great way to use it. Um, I will open up a can of tuna or sardines in oil and pour in some apple cider vinegar and eat it. So the uses are anything you can think of that tastes good to you. I will also take a glass of water, put in a tablespoon or two of, of apple cider vinegar and the um, potato starch, that resistant starch that's really good for our gut. And the, the mother in the apple cider vinegar is good for your gut too. And I may even put in a local little bit of local raw honey. And I'll just stir all that up and I'll just sip on that. So lots and lots of uses. Benefits. My God, it's kind of amazing stuff. So uh, I was just talking about diabetes, and many people have blood sugar control. Um, Raw apple cider vinegar is anti-glycemic, and it it really helps with blood sugar levels. We're not even exactly sure how it does it, but they believe the acetic acid um, lowers blood sugar because it kind of blocks the digestion of complex carbohydrates. They think that's what does it, but they know that it lowers blood sugar and improves blood sugar control. Um, It's loaded with polyphenols, uh, chlorogenic acid, very high levels, and that inhibits the oxidation of the LDL. The cholesterol we think is bad. It's only bad when it's oxidized. Um, Raw apple cider vinegar blocks the oxidation of the LDL. That's another benefit. There's lots more today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to those right when we get back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Before the break, I was talking with Herschel about raw apple cider vinegar. Um, Herschel, the benefits just go on and on. It's good for your heart. Um, it's actually been shown to help with weight loss for some reason. It, when you eat meals with apple cider vinegar, you don't eat as much. They're, again, they're not sure why that happens. Um, it's good for digestion and acid reflux. Um, 
one tablespoon in a large glass of water daily for some reason stimulates your body to produce more stomach acid, which is a good thing. I don't think you could really overdo this one. I think this is one of those self-limiting kind of, we don't, we don't know what the best amount is, but there doesn't seem to be any real downside and nobody seems to overdo this. There's only so much of this you're going to get into your diet anyway. Okay. I was curious about that because I bought it and I've been shaking it up. I'm taking, you have to shake it up first or the mother settles to the bottom. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I I okay. I go through quite a bit, and and like I say, I don't think there's any. It it's kind of self-limiting. I mean, even when I'm trying to get it into my diet every day, you're only going to get so much in. You're only going to eat so much salad dressing. You're only going to eat drink so many glasses of water with a little bit in there. You know, I'm only going to eat so many avocados. So I can't imagine there's ever a day that I even get five tablespoons, which is nowhere near too much. Okay, good deal. I'll keep it up. There you go. Yeah, it, it's um, pretty amazing stuff. I'm not really into, you know, the latest superfood craze, but there are some things that are clearly good for us, and we should just work them into our diet, and this is one of them. Let's go to Kansas. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? Uh, I got a quick question. I hear you talk about, uh, or guys calling in talking about the the LLC. I was just trying yeah. to decipher um, the difference between the S corp and the sole provider, and then like, how do you know, um, like, what's the difference between the two, or how do you know, you know, which one you should file for? Okay, so. I, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. I could do an hour-long seminar on all the differences because the government makes it way more complicated than what it needs to be. So instead, I'll just give you the answer that matters. Forget okay. almost everything you hear about S-Corps on you know, late-night commercials where they talk about you know, protect all your assets and get loans and you know, not have to pay them back. And I hear all kinds of crazy stuff about S-Corps. Forget all that stuff. Most of it's really, really, really stretching the truth, and much, most of it doesn't matter anyway. Here's what matters. It's possible to use an S-Corp to lower the total tax you pay. But there's a, a limit. If somebody's only making $40,000 a year, then there's not enough tax savings to make it worth all the cost and trouble of forming a corporation and doing corporate tax returns and all that other stuff. So we've come up with kind of a number for owner-operators. When you get to the point where you are paying tax on more than $60,000 a year, that means after all your expenses, after depreciation, after per diem, when you're paying tax on more than 60000 a year, then forming an S-Corp will help us lower your total tax bill. That's really all there is to it. So once we see somebody who's paying more than that in tax, then that's when we would recommend an S-Corp because we could lower their tax bill. Got it. 
And then what's the difference between sole proprietor? Is that or is it just the same? It is sole proprietor is what everybody operates as unless they become a corporation. Now you mentioned LLC. Don't let that one confuse you. LLC and S Corp, virtually identical. There are some reasons that, you know, the LLC is a little easier to set up, but then you end up filing your taxes as an S Corp anyway. So if we just focus on what the S Corp does, that's all we really need to know. The LLC is, is not a big deal. It's a little easier, a little cheaper to form in the beginning, but you're going to end up filing taxes as an S-Corp if you're an LLC anyway. Okay, so basically don't even worry about it at all unless you're paying over sixty grand in taxes after all the deductions. Not not sixty grand in taxes. You're paying tax on $60,000 of oh, okay. profit or okay. more. Yeah. Okay, I got it. On profit. So if you're paying sixty thousand yep. on profit after 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 you did take it out, like you said, your deductions, the depreciation, everything. Yep. Right. Got it. Yep. Okay. If, if I got you it. get to that point, then a corporation is gonna save you money. Okay. Got it. Thanks, Kevin. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. To Texas. Frank, welcome to the program. Oh, hey, hi, Kevin. Thanks. Uh, uh, two destination health questions and a quick one on the, the KR um, uh, scan gauge. Uh, destination health, is there a, a big difference between a product you see in vitamin stores? I think it's called ox bile versus bile salts. They're the same thing. Um, same thing? Yeah, almost all bile salts. I haven't really found any other form. Um, bile is a natural substance. Our body creates it. Um, all animals that that eat, you know, any kind of fat create bile. Um, so we get the the bile salts from some other animal usually, and ox bile is the most common. Okay, good. Okay, great. Then uh, I I was in and out uh, getting loaded and paperwork, and I, I heard part of a previous show that uh, one of the callers had, uh, I guess, had their appendix taken. And the piece I caught, uh, you know, what my question that remained was, if you've if you've had your spare parts, your gallbladder and your appendix taken, does is there a a prescription for supplements that you need to worry about when you're missing both those key items? Um, the gallbladder we're very, very clear on. We know exactly yeah. what the gallbladder does. So the gallbladder yeah. is what's responsible for releasing the bile salts when we need them. And because you don't have a gallbladder, that's why we take bile salts with a meal when we eat fat. That one's really straightforward. The appendix is, we've been told forever that it really was a useless piece. We had no idea what it did. In fact, doctors still believe it does nothing, and it's left over from some function we don't even understand. Well, it turns out that's probably not going to be true. We're starting to learn more, and it, it, it's about gut bacteria. We're learning gut bacteria is so incredibly important and complex 
and there is new information coming out literally every day. I'll give you a wild example. I read an article the other day. Um, Type 1 diabetics are very, very different than type 2. Type 2 is a lifestyle thing. You just ate too much sugar your whole life. Type 1, your pancreas stops producing insulin. Without insulin, you die. I mean, this Mm -hmm. isn't a lifestyle. It's an autoimmune disease. Um, And the only thing you can do for a type 1 diabetic is they have to inject insulin virtually every day or multiple times a day to stay alive. Um, I read a a research paper where there's one part of this I'm not really wild about. It scares me a little bit, but it's amazing that this is even possible. They claim they have now engineered gut bacteria. I don't know what that word means, engineered. But when they start engineering stuff, it scares me a little. But it's incredible. They have engineered gut bacteria that can produce insulin. And, and they are thinking this, that's incredible. I mean, what a, what a giant leap to, you know, we need a pancreas with, with good beta cells to produce insulin, and there's no other way of doing it except now they say it can be done with gut bacteria. That's just wild. Yeah, but that's the kind of crazy stuff we're learning. Well, it turns out they believe now that the appendix is actually kind of a little hideout for good gut bacteria. So when, when we get some sort of an infection of bad gut bacteria, maybe we ate food that was bad or, you know, we, we picked up some bad bacteria from somewhere and it's in our gut. It seems like the good bacteria, instead of getting wiped out, they go and kind of hide out in the appendix until they're strong enough to overtake the bad bacteria. That's a crazy theory. That's brand new. But if that's the case, if I were missing an appendix, I would really, really focus on keeping good, healthy gut bacteria. I would take a high-quality probiotic. I would eat lots of fermented vegetables. I would eat yogurt if I could handle it, Um, kefir, kombucha, all of the good gut bacteria, I would focus on keeping that in my diet every day. We can talk about that more next time. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. We'll be back here tomorrow with an hour of general questions and an hour of Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.